for the people that are out there that are thinking about building their brand, don't be afraid to niche down. Do not be afraid to niche down. There's some people who are like, oh no, you know, if you yep. niche down, you're going to miss this whole exactly. market of people over there. No, th those people weren't for you, right? So yep. they weren't going to come to you in the first place. Yeah, You need to niche down to the people that you're uniquely designed to speak to. I'm Raphael. I'm Cecil. Welcome to Family Man Building the Brand, the podcast that explores what it means to be a father, husband, and a businessman. Join us as we talk to entrepreneurs that are winning at home and in business. Join us as we talk about their journeys, family life, and tips for success. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Family Man Building the Brand podcast. Today, we have a special guest, and today's guest is Dr. James Brown. Taylor, you about Dr. Bryant. He's a seasoned engineer, an executive coach, and a trusted advisor with over 20 years of experience. He is the founder of Engineer Success LLC, a boutique coaching, consulting, and leadership development firm that is dedicated to helping business owners and senior-level engineers achieve success in business and in life. Dr. Brian is also the host of Engineer Success Podcast, where he shares insights, tips, and strategies for achieving success as an engineer. And a person, he's a certified John Maxwell leadership speaker, trainer, and coach. He's also dedicated a dedicated husband and a father. He understands the importance of having success at work and at home, and he's committed to helping others do the same, which is perfectly for exactly what we're going to be talking about today. So thank you very much for um, coming on the show, and welcome, Dr. Chris. Well, welcome, Cecil, man, welcome, thank man. you so much. I really appreciate being here. appreciate uh, you guys reaching out. Love yes. what you guys are doing here. Thank really you. talking about, you know, the blending of family and entrepreneurship. And I think really us as men need more shows to love on us to kind of begin to highlight the things that we are doing. Definitely. Because sometimes we get a bad rap. And yes. so I think it's great what you guys are doing. Thank Perfect. you, man. Thank appreciate you, man. Appreciate it. I mean, and that's, a, I think, Exactly why we put this together, because, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the empowerment of others. But like you said, I think we get a bad rap where to the extent it always focuses on, I'm not going to say the negative aspects of being a man, but then we are not celebrated enough in the ways we are supposed to. So then we can continue to appreciate the role of a husband, a father and a man in the family and how we continue to build our socioeconomic lives and all those good things. So, but anyway, appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. And as we get started, I wanted you to take the opportunity to tell the audience by yourself. We have a lot of questions ourselves, but hey, it's all about that. <laughs> right, you're right, you're right. I mean, essentially in the intro, you summed it up. I Got am it. an executive coach. I have a boutique leadership development, executive coaching and consulting firm, Engineer Your Success LLC. Uh, I started that firm really out, it was birthed out of my ability to design and live a life where I was able to win at work and at home. And I started looking around and seeing that other people were struggling with that very thing. And so I decided to start building my practice around that concept. Okay. Well, that sounds good. I mean, interesting. And funny, before we got started, Ralph was asking, he's like, I don't know what kind of engineer. So, I mean, I'll... It will just let you civil, dive into that. Okay. Civil engineer. So, okay. okay. So I, I actually went to a specialty high school in Philadelphia. I grew up in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. I went to the Philadelphia high school for engineering and science. 
And then I had got my undergraduate degree in civil engineering from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. I have a master's degree and a PhD in civil infrastructure system. Okay. And then I have worked both in the private sector, uh, in the public sector for state DOT, as well as okay. for a nonprofit, but managing a really high level $70 million applied research program where we were looking at how can we renew our nation's infrastructure? Okay. And how can we do those projects better, more cost-effective, more efficiently? And it was, I just had a great time just continuing to grow in my career. Yep. Yep. Now, Dr. Bryant, you know, again, in the beginning of this, we talked about how we probably aren't as celebrated. And to be honest, man, I feel like a lot of times, you know, we come from behind the eight ball. We come, we don't have that one up. We don't have that, that step stool to get you there. So I wonder, you've accomplished a lot and you've accomplished some rarity, some things that we will consider rarity. Tell me, what was, what was your parental background? You grew up in Philly. There's Will Smith, you know, we see all these things, especially being from the West Coast. But <laughs> what was your, what were your parents like, you know, to help build such a great man that you have become? Well, first, thank you for the compliment. Of course. Number two is I did. I was blessed to grow up in a great two-parent household. Okay. So cool. both of my mom and my dad, they were there. My father, I didn't consider my father to be an entrepreneur, but he was. He had a job where he was welding the sides of 18-wheeler trucks. So he yeah. would do that. But he also had his own auto body repair shop. And so myself, my brothers, my cousins, all of us were exposed to entrepreneurship. But it wasn't entrepreneurship from the standpoint of, oh, we're going to build a business. We're going to grow this thing. It was entrepreneurship out of necessity. It, oh. You know, my, my father wasn't looking to, you know, build a network of auto body repair shops. He was trying to do what he loved to do and make ends meet. And so being able to go there, work with my dad in the shop, those were a lot of the formative things for me. Cause I learned a lot about hard work and dedication and the fact that hard work alone is not going to be the thing that helps you to succeed. You know, the work alone without the connections and the people that you know, without continuing to grow, you will maximize what you can do with hard work, but there's so much more that you can do above that level. So, you, so think of it, if you only depend on hard work, there's a cap to what you can do. Of course. When you start understanding the power of connections, in the power of personal growth, then you start to lift the lid off of what you can accomplish. Dope. Dope. I mean, yeah, I, man, I can totally agree. Exactly, man. It, it makes sense, especially from the point of, you know, the fact that your dad set a foundation for you, your dad set a foundation for you, and you took that and you ran with it, and I'm sure you're re-implementing it within your immediate family now. But tell me, like, where exactly... Devil a little bit about your family setup and things of that sort, but which is more of a passion as well too? Was the were you more passionate about becoming a civil engineer and grabbing these public and private sector jobs, or were you more passionate about having that entrepreneur side and taking this role that you went to school for and turn that into a business? You know what was it? that the entrepreneurial spirit was a okay. seed that was planted, but was incubating for 15, 16 years. Oh. So for me, it was go to school. I'm going to get out of the neighborhood. 
So, you know, you only get out of the neighborhood yeah. a couple of different ways. <laughs> People get arrested, they go to jail. Yeah. They get shot. Yeah. Either something, they may OD, something like that. Yeah. They, those get out. You got the folks that are going to school. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, this that's escaping through education. And then you also have those folks that go through like scholarships and sports, sports right? Yeah. So that's, that, yeah. that's typically what happens. So I grew up in the, you know, the mid eighties, you know, I was in high school in the eighties. And so it was like, okay, what, you know, like, what am I going to do? I don't know what I was going to do. So I can't say that I had this great drive to be an engineer, but what I can tell you is that I had a friend, his name is Jeffrey Pender. He still lives in the Philadelphia area. He's several years older than I was. And I can distinctly remember being outside playing with uh, my a Godzilla toy, right? Punching <laughs> hand in the <laughs> snow. And he came across the street and kind of played with me for a little bit. I was about maybe 13, 14. Yeah. He was older in college. But the relationship that we formed really was crucial for my development because I was able to see someone in the neighborhood who was uh -huh. working through getting out through education. Uh -huh. He was going to school to be a pharmacist. And so not only you know, like from that day on, you know, every weekend we would hang out for a couple hours. We might play some video games. He would take me to go play basketball cool. with some of his college buddies. And it was a really formative experience for me just to help shape me and to show me what's possible. And so I, I would say in addition to my parents, in addition to, you know, our, our Christian background and going to church and all of the and entrepreneurship, that relationship that I had with Jeff was one of the transformational things for me at that time. Wow. Pretty, pretty good. I mean, it's interesting that you remember going that far and just all the things that you said that your parents put into you, but you did mention initially when you were, were just talking about the power of connection and networking and how that is and it's interesting because that's how i got to know who you are <laughs> and it's so funny because when i, I mean and I, to say for the audience i met you through my mentor my coach jerome myers who is has been on the show before and that's how i got to know you and you went to i guess you both went to i'm guessing you both went to north carolina at yeah, we did at different times but yeah oh yeah and, both went there and that's what's interesting i wanted to point out at different times I mean, this is so interesting because I went to high school in a completely different continent. And one of my very close friends in high school went to the same college here in North Carolina when he migrated wow. from the Gambia to um, North Carolina. But I didn't know any of this until I mentioned um, his name to um, Jerome. And Jerome then said to him, I gave him his first job as an engineer. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, this is like crazy because I'm sure you went there before him and then yeah. my friend. So these, this is three levels of, or three connections of people that I met differently or, or through or almost like the, the degrees of separation. And you all went to the same school and you guys are all um, engineers. But I want to go back to you saying you went to an engineering school. How did that yeah. come about? I mean, like, did your parents intentionally send you? to an engineering school or did you apply? I mean, how did I did even oh, happen? Well, so, you know, as a, as a middle school kid wow. or as an elementary middle school kid, I was really good at math and science. Okay. And so cool. it was one of those things. Hey, you're really good at math and science. Here are some opportunities that are for you. Also did a lot with music and drama as well. So the choices that I had was 
I could go to one of the performing arts high schools or apply okay. to go to one of the specialty performing arts high schools, or I could apply to go to the engineering and science, George Washington Carver High School for Engineering and Science. Okay. And at that time, just, you know, I'm not thinking about entrepreneurship. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm thinking about career progression. Okay. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the engineering school because engineering sounds cool. Now, I knew nothing Crazy. about what engineers do. <laughs> nothing. Okay. Yeah. But that was kind of my take. Oh, okay. I'm going to go do that. And that's what I did. And it's interesting because I was not a great student. Okay. So listen to me. I was not a great student. In high school, I can remember taking like, uh, I think it was what geometry and some of the other ones. And I was like, oh, all of these rules and all of this stuff, it, yeah. I really had to study. Okay. But not being a, always being a great student was a positive for me. And the reason is it caused me to actually study. Okay. And, okay. you know, so for those folks that are listening in that you may, you know, you, hey, you may be a senior in high school, you may be starting off in college and you may be like, man, this is hard. Yeah. Sometimes it is hard. And sometimes that hardness is what's needed to actually shape you into who you need to be to actually start instituting the habits that you need to put into place in your life mm -hmm. so that you can achieve and live the dream that you want. And so don't be afraid of hard. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because it's funny, like these are the conversations we're having a lot. I was having the same conversation with my wife. I was having the conversation with my father the other day, just putting in hard work. I mean, put in work. I mean, because I would always say in high school as well, I probably was a, I wasn't an A student. I wasn't even a B student. I'd probably say I was a C student. I got A's and I got B's. And when I came to college, I guess studying hard or, or things like that, I would always say my first year in college was quite easy for me, maybe because of the, the educational system that I went through and things of that nature. But now as an adult, you, we are getting to understand the importance of maybe the path we went through. So yeah. we are able to impart that into our kids and maybe mold them in a the direction. Maybe we could say maybe our parents didn't more so do for us so we get to see it's almost like that idea of when people even talk about generational wealth and all these different things we get to do what we would have liked our parents to do for us so we get right. to actually have a front row seat so we're able to do that um for our parents but uh, also I, I guess for you having gone through that saying okay i wasn't a great student to the ultimate level of education which is a phd Right. Yeah, I mean, no. I okay. And so Go the ahead. interesting thing is that I was a good student, but for each of us, there may be topics that challenge us. Yes, and the Definitely. mistake that we can make sometimes is when you're used to doing well, you're used to getting A's, and you come up on that topic or that subject that challenges you. The first thing that you want to do, or the first thing that I wanted to do, was become disinterested, right? Yeah. Whatever, I'm not even going. I'm not even going to study. Because yeah. I, yeah. I, I know I'm not going to do well. You become disinterested and you don't do well. So then you start living with the fact that you're not doing well. The only way that you're going to get through that is to actually own the fact that you need help. Yeah. Own the fact that you have to put in additional yeah. work. Yeah. A lot of, at least in the beginning, I didn't want to own that fact. Okay. So it's not that I was a totally flunking student. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's more so though, but it's more so there will be things in life that, come upon you that you will come across that will be hard for you that okay. doesn't necessarily mean that you need to give up it may mean that you need to buckle down it may mean it may mean that you need to change 
your approach to how you're attacking that problem. Okay. So for me, it was taking more time to study, starting to understand the, the base root of the equations in mm -hmm. their simplest form, learning how to derive the equations that I needed from the basic equation. Once gotcha. I started doing that, things started opening up for me a whole lot because now I wasn't looking in a book for an answer. I was looking for a basic equation that I could manipulate and evolve into this, the equation that I needed for the answer. Okay. And that process right there in college is one of the things that I still carry with me today because sometimes we're looking for solutions, but we need to take it back down to the basics and say, okay, from this basic piece right here, whether it's, are you getting enough sleep? You say that exercise is important to you. Are you going to the gym? You say that your family is important to you. Are you scheduling time to okay. invest in those relationships? Getting back down to the basics and understanding the basics and how those basics can help you solve those bigger problems that you may be facing. Okay. Cool. And, and, makes yeah, definitely makes sense, man. And I know earlier, you know, talked about growing up in a Christian home. So I, I understand that you're definitely a man of faith. And one of the messages that I got from church maybe about two weeks ago was, you know, our, our, the pastor gave an analogy of a house full of rats. There's a cause of it and there's the actual situational, you know, situation that's happening then. So you can set a million traps inside the home and catch the millions of rats, but you didn't get to the root cause. There's still going to be more right. coming in from that crack underneath the floor. So I can definitely relate to that. That makes the most sense. Once that message hit me, it taught me now to get to the fundamental and the foundational things of everything that I'm doing within business. That helps me be more efficient, things of that sort. And also I can relate, man. You know, I went to a, I went to a math and science high school. It was out here in California. They call it magnet, which is like a, you know, it's like a more privatized public school. You know, so we're kind of sectioned away from the other public school students and we had a more focused education. And realistically, man, I'm a nurse by trade, but um, but I understood my passion early enough. And once I understood my passion, for some reason, not, you know, the nursing just started lowering on the totem pole. It wasn't as fun to do anymore. You know, Tesla and them were going to the clubs on Friday nights. I'm at work from 7 p.m. <laughs> to 7 a.m. You know, so and slowly <laughs> and the nine to five, the aspect that was actually paying my bills and things that sort very well started lowering and I was willing to take, you know, a pay cut or I would even say you can consider this being a career demotion just to feel better doing this on a daily basis, man. So everything you broke down, I totally get it. You know, we can totally relate, but I, I kind of want to, I want to hop into how you really got into the civil engineering. Now we've discussed you going all the way up to college and things of that sort, but what was your process? You know, because we may have listeners that are going to go through the same exact journey you went through. Did you go private first? Did you go public first? Did you, you know what exactly was your what, what exactly was your process the minute you got out of college? Oh man, that is a great question. So I, I graduated with my PhD in civil infrastructure systems from Virginia Tech, and I was like, okay, what do I want to do next? So I remember. Okay. I think I was visiting my sister up in New Jersey and I kind of sat down and kind of plotted out this plan. It was, okay, I'm going to go work in the private sector for three to five years. Then I'm going to go work in the public sector for three to five years. Okay. Then I'm going to work 
for three to five years looking at these same issues at a national level. And then okay. after that, I'm going to go back to university and teach and or start a consulting firm. That was my grand plan from, wow. you know, when I finished. Wow. Now, I was really fortunate to get a job in the highway maintenance area working in the private sector. So I was managing maintenance okay. on roadways and bridges, managing work crews, managing paving jobs. It was a really good experience for me to be in the field. And I, I really requested to be in the field because if you're going to be leading people, it's good to understand what life is like from their point right. of view. Yeah. And so I can remember going out to help the crews get ditches and <laughs> clean out ditches and yep. to go clean out pipes and, you know, going under bridges and looking at snakes and all of this other stuff Man. that's there. Now, you know, coming up in Philly, I ain't seen none of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for real. So, so all that was like new to me. Man. But that's what I signed up for. I, I, I really enjoyed that. So I did that for about three years, a little over three years. And then I got married and moved to Richmond, Virginia, and took a job working for the Virginia Department of Transportation. And I was fortunate enough to start managing or building a research program that was in the same area of interest in highway okay. maintenance and infrastructure rehabilitation that of the experience that I had in the private sector. So, you know, okay, so you now you got check one, yeah, public, public, I mean, private sector three to five yeah. years, check two. Yeah. Public sector for three to five years. And so there was a lull in one of the contracts that we were doing statewide, because when I was working for VDOT, I was in charge of all of the uh, maintenance contracts. So okay. VDOT has yeah. nine districts. So the nine districts would come to our unit and we would come up with okay. all specialty contracts, any, anything that dealt with maintenance, my unit was responsible for. Okay. So I really enjoyed that aspect of serving those nine districts, you know, with our team and our staff, but there was a lull um, and I went to a presentation and somebody came and gave a presentation. It was talking about, actually it was Dr. Ann Brock. She came and gave a presentation and was talking about the transportation research board, which is part of the national academies of science, engineering and medicine and how they were looking for someone to lead this applied research program on infrastructure renewal. I was, Okay, yeah, this is it. <laughs> and then, yeah, I was like, this is it. This yeah. is it. So I applied, you know, put an application. And the day that I found out that they wanted to hire me, wow. I came home early. Okay. And my wife was home early that day, too. And I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to be able to tell her what's going on. And she was like, oh, I have some news for you. And I was like, oh, I have some news for you, too. And she says, you're going to be a dad. And I was oh. Like, oh, this is great. Oh, this is great. And I got offered that job in Washington, D.C. Now, for those of you that don't know, Richmond, Virginia is about maybe 110 miles south. Hours. Yeah, yeah. in traffic, it's yeah. two and a half, it's a two and a half hour commute. Yeah. And so my wife is kind of looking at me and like, okay, all right. So when are you going to tell them that you're not going to take it? And oh, I, for me, again, guys, yeah. this is the next thing on the list. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I was like, I think I'm going to take it. And I'm going to tell you, Cecil Raphael, she, she said something that you never want to hear. And that is, she looked at me and she says, you must not love me or your unborn child. Wow. Because if yep. you take that job, you're not going to have any time for us. And you would think that would be enough, but yeah. hey, I'm 30 something. 
I'm thinking like this is the next thing on my list. I'm gonna go ahead and take the job. Yeah. So I take the job. I'm getting up at old dark thirty, going up to Washington D.C. and I'm working, yeah. doing well. Coming home in old dark at night, wow. I get a little bit of chance to see my wife. Yeah. You know, during the pregnancy, we have our first child. He came five weeks early, so it was, it was a little early, but he was healthy. Everything was fine. Great. And my wife decided that she was going to stay home with him for a year. So can, you can imagine, right, as a man, really conditioned to be the provider, what is going through your, what's going through my mind, which is now I got to double down. I got to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do yeah. up in at my job. And so that's what I did. Put my nose to the grind. I was doing very well, you know, at work, different accolades, running research projects. It was, it was great traveling around the world. I got the opportunity to go to Paris, to China, to Korea, to, to Spain, all of these different places, you know, looking at some of the things that they were doing. So I, listen, in terms of work, I was killing it. Yeah. Home, it was horrible. Ah, it was horrible. You. Because I wasn't there for... My wife, I wasn't able to be that emotional support that she needed. And so we got pregnant with our second child and the, they put her, the doctors put her on bed rest. And so that's when things started to shift, but not totally. I still was, okay, all right, I'll work from home. I'll be here when I can. Part of me resented that because I, again, this is the, the next thing on my list. I'm, I'm in the ladder. Then it's a dream. my it's youngest son. Yeah, it is a dream. It is a dream. And I'm yeah. pursuing the dream. Yeah. And there are times where life continues to kind of talk to you and continues to suggest changes. Mm -hmm. And life was suggesting changes for me, but I was ignoring those changes. Okay. And my youngest son was born at 26 weeks in a day. Oh, he wow. was one pound. I Wow. 14 ounces. Yep. One pound, 14 ounces. My my wedding ring could literally fit around his thumb. Wow. Okay. Whoa. Yeah, man. Uh, he, and so I had a one-year-old at home. I had a wife who was feeling neglected because I wasn't there in terms of emotional support. I had a newborn who's in the NICU. And you can imagine with all of the travel in the daily commute that my health was shot too. Yeah, it, it wasn't like I was making time to go to the gym, eat and do the stuff that I want to do. And so I can remember, and I'm bringing this home. I can remember just sitting there and asking myself what I call the three questions that changed my life. And those three questions are this, you know, do you want to win at work? Yes, I do. I want to win at work. I was killing it. Yeah. You know, like, like it was cool. I'm, I'm building a career. Do you want to win at home? Yeah, I do. I do want to win at home. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to win at home, however you define winning. Yeah. But the last question was the one that shook me to the core. And it's the simplest one, but the hardest to answer when you're honest with yourself. And that's simply, are you? Are you winning at work? And home. Yeah. And at that time in my life, I could not say yes. And because I couldn't say yes, 
that was the changing point for me to start designing and living a life where I could answer that yes. Wow. Got you. So quick follow-up to that then. I mean, because I'm, it's like a story that I'm not curious to know the end. What, did, what happened to your job? I mean, in, in order to transition into that life, because obviously mm-hmm. you, you've answered the questions, which is this is what shaped who you are in your career and your yeah. life today. But did you quit the job? I was prepared to. Okay. And what happened is they allowed me to work offsite. Okay. They, you know, so we having some space issues and we were looking to create some space. You know, your wife's on bed rest. You got these other issues going on. Go ahead, work offsite. Okay. And it was, that was supposed to be temporary. From that temporary position, I view working offsite as a privilege and not a right. Okay. So that means that right. if I had to work extra, if I had to go to D.C., I went. Yeah. I did everything that I needed to do to make sure I was delivering quality service at my job. And because I was willing to do that, they allowed me to stay up. This is way before COVID. I I was working remotely for many years and was one of the only people within the organization that was working remotely. And so did it have an impact on my career trajectory? Yes, it did. There There were times where I was offered promotions but told that in order for me to get the promotion that I needed yeah. to come, come back, back wow. up to DC every day. Yeah. And I said, no thanks, because that's not the life that I want to live. And I remember one of my, my uh, supervisors at the time was like, well, what happened to you? You used to be so ambitious. And I was like, I'm still ambitious. This just a, the object of my ambition has changed. The object of my ambition is no longer simply how can I climb the ladder of career? Yep. The object of my ambition is how can I design and live a life where I'm winning at work and at home? You know, we talk about creating win solutions when it comes to negotiation. Yeah. We don't often apply that when it comes to our personal life and our professional life. Of course. You know, finding a way to create a win. Exactly. Wow. I mean... That's interesting, but I mean, it's no, it's cool because I guess that's, I mean, my question is that that when now or trying to create the life that you want, is that when you transition? Because I mean, I'm uh, maybe I'm fast forwarding a bit, but I'm curious to then know because I think in all that you've explained, you're you're basically talking about 15 plus years of a lot of experience in engineering, in the field of engineering, but also in, I guess, what you would call experience. I mean, not just like the profession, but work experience, life yeah. experience, because now you're going through a lot of having to navigate the politics of work. You're having to navigate perfecting a skill set, and then you're having to navigate life, yeah, which is the biggest part of it. Is that what prompted you to kind of start your business, which yeah. then goes into executive coaching? Because this is a different level of coaching. You're not just Hey, I'm talking to someone who's trying to figure out the start of life. Like, how did that, is that the transition? I think that was the starting point. Okay. An inflection point where the trajectory of my life started to change. Because as I started to look for personal development resources, as I started to develop myself, it started to open me up to a whole new world of the role that coaching can play in personal development. Okay. And so then... You know, I got certified as part of the John Maxwell leadership as a certified speaker, trainer, and coach. And so I'm doing that. I got some other life coach uh, certification and 
just training and thinking through, okay, how can I apply these principles to my life? But I was already winning at work and at home by the time I started that journey. I think the fact that I was able to create that life and have that, that the life where I was successful at work and I was being present here for my family that allowed me the freedom to explore some of those other issues, the freedom to start to really grow my mind and explore things that I may not have explored before. Okay. Okay. Makes you know what I mean? This, that's, this is just like this. I feel like this topic that you just broke down to us is the, a major symptom of a family man that's aiming to build a brand. It's a major symptom where he lacks commitment or, you know, he lacks commitment to going forward with the journey, man, because you, you got to think about it, Dr. Brian, is that at, at this point in time, you really, you, you had built this dream up for so many different years. You've done crazy hard work. You've, you're achieving the dream, phase one of the dream, three to five years locked in. We're on the phase two, things of that sort. And you get this dead halt. And a lot of people can't stomach that. A lot of people can't, at that very moment, ask those three questions. And revert themselves and say, you know what? No, nah, let me adjust things across the spectrum. A lot of people would have taken that promotion. The bag matters, Dr. Bryant. You know, and they probably no, the, wouldn't the, have run. Listen, the bag, I'm not saying <laughs> that the bag don't matter. But what I found, what I found is that you're still able to get the bag. Yeah. You're going to get the yeah. bag. You might not get it as fast. But in the big difference is that once you get the bag, you'll be able to keep it. Yeah. And yeah. you'll be able to keep building off of it. Gotcha. Is that so? So okay. yeah, the bag matters. I'm not. Yeah, of course. Well, okay. Go so segueing into this, then, if that's the case, is that as a part of your executive coaching, is that a premise of it? You no. Know, hey, maintaining the bag, but you still, you know, you know, tell us, give us like a brief overview of what that executive coaching is based on your experiences that you want. Yeah. How do you help people? Because you, I mean, to add to what Ralph has said, you said something very important. You had found success in, I wouldn't use the word balance, but you had found success in figuring out how to uh, make work life work and family yeah, life work. So happy. you yeah. said, okay, I, I now, I'm not coming from a perspective of I'm experimenting. I'm showing you what I had to go through yeah. and have yes. then figured out. So how does that executive coaching work for people who are thinking about it? Because I was telling Ralph that a friend of mine is a CEO of plastics. It's like some chemical plastics company mm-hmm. and he used to see me post on LinkedIn about coaching and, and all the stuff in my experience with my coaches, stuff like that. And he's like, I've never talked about it, but in order for me to become CEO, my company then said to me that then hired coaches for me to teach me to how to be a CEO, how to be in the room with CEOs, wow. how to talk mm-hmm. to them, how to negotiate with them. And I was like, wow, this is quite interesting. So, I mean, and that's exactly what you're preparing people for to become, I mean, executive coaching is saying, okay, you, I mean, well, tell us what it is. Yeah, you tell I don't want to make an <laughs> exactly. assumption you for the people us. to make it seem like I know exactly what he does, but you tell us what it is. Yeah. No, I, I think you you are absolutely right. You're preparing you're preparing people to take that next step, or you're providing services to people who need support in that role. Okay. And okay. so I, I tend to handle with clients, you know, that are in those two spaces. But in, in general, I have a a four-step approach that I apply when it comes to work-life balance or when it comes to winning at work and at home. Okay. And that is really determine 
you know, what really matters to you and focus on what matters most. And so we go through a process of really uncovering what really matters to you. It can be as simple as, you know, what do you say are the top five things for you? What really matters to you? People might say family, my faith, you know, my job, my health, my relationships. So, okay, great. So those are the five things. Now what I want to do is look at your calendar and see how you're actually allocating your most precious resource because you can't get time back. Okay. Okay. We start looking at the calendar and how people allocate their time. Wow. You see work's very important, <laughs> but the other things kind of fall out or they're sporadic. And so then it's, okay, you said this is important. I'm looking at how you use your time. It's not showing up. So you have a choice. You can change what you say is important or you can begin to make time for those things that matter most for you. And a lot of times people want to make that transition and they say, I don't know how. No, I just don't okay. know how. Okay, wonderful. The first thing I want you to do then, we move to the next step. Then I call this process the engineer's blueprint for success. Okay. We move to the next step, which is really visualizing what life is going to look like if you are able to allocate the time that you want to invest in those things that matter most to you. So you start going through this process. You, I want to see yourself doing the thing. I want to see your, I want you to see yourself overcoming whatever those challenges are that are in your way so that you can really get a vision, a crystal clear picture of what life's going to look like then. And we will work and work until we have that picture. The next step is developing a plan. Okay, so you've determined what, what matters. You can see where you want to go. Now you're like, well, how do I close the gap? How do I get from here to there? Mm -hmm. That's what developing the plan is. And so we will break down a step-by-step -step process that will help you get to where you want to go. Looking at your habits, looking at all of the daily activities, your mindset, whether we're talking about meditation, affirmations, or project management type software, or tools that's really dictating how you're moving forward. A lot of it depends on the preferences of the client, how they're actually in, in their makeup. Okay. And the last step is as equally important because the, in reality, without the last step, nothing happens and that's execution. And part of it is providing that support for yeah. uh, that executive, helping them to execute. If they come up with a block, helping them work through that block in terms of, okay, why was this an issue? Has this been an issue in the past? Let's work through this and let's really understand how you can move forward. You know, I close my podcast, the Engineer Your Success podcast, almost every time with this statement. And that's many people know what to do. Fewer people know how to do it. And there's a select group of people that actually follow through and do it. And it is my vision and dream for you to be part of that select few. And that's really the intent of the Engineer's Blueprint for Success to help people become part of that select few who are able to design and live a life where they're winning at work and at home. Now, it makes a lot of sense. And, and I think that's where they, I've been asking myself that question a lot about like coaching because, I, and, and it's funny, as I was asking that question, I, I read something where this lady said she had to shut down a coaching business where kind of had to go back and she was into real estate. She kind of had to go back into executing on doing what she did to help, to be able to help clients because ultimately she was making money as a coach, but her clients were failing miserably. And I, I think I see, wow. I'm not going to say I see a lot of that because I don't know what happened in the back end of a <laughs> lot of people who say I'm, I'm a coach and this and that. But you yeah. mentioned something about your goal is to make the, the people become that one percenter of yes. you know, the crop. And yes. I think that's what it is because 
explaining it to us just now sounded like, okay, we're going to go through a journey of saying we're not going to quit until we figure it out versus, hey, here's the blueprint. I've given you everything you need. That's my job. My job is done. It's like a teacher saying, hey, you come to class. Here's the curriculum. I'm going to teach for 16 weeks. You're going to go home and study. And finals, you're going to take this test. If you pass, hey, if you don't pass, not my problem. I got another 16 weeks of another bunch of students coming in. So I think I like that broke that down and explained that, hey, this is a process that we're going to use to make like you a succeed. And it's a, exactly, but yep. it's a framework we're going to actually implement. Because yeah. implementation, I think, is the most difficult part exactly. of any process. Like you said, the execution, which is yep. the most important part. So do you find that you get people who get this block? And if they do, in terms of execution, because I think I've gone, I've had that, it, but do people get that blockade if they do? How do you help them unlock that yeah. blocked into execution? Because that's what really matters. Yeah, that's a great question. Part of it is creating an environment where of safety, okay. where that individual, my client, really feels safe to be able to discuss the issues that they're facing. Right. So one, safety. Two, lack of judgment. Remove any judgment from the conversation. As a coach, it is not my job to judge you. It is my job to be there to sit with you in that moment. It's my job to challenge you and to challenge your assumptions through questions and through other means. But that part of it is no judgment, being present, but approaching it from a position of curiosity. So really being curious and asking the questions as to, oh, wow, so why do you think that was? Why do you think this came up? You know, a few weeks ago when we talked about this is how you felt and this is where you were. So, you know, really digging into what's going on. Sometimes it can be limiting beliefs because what happens is that people will say they can't do something. And you start asking, well, why can't you do that? Well, I can't do it because of this. Oh, okay. Well, seems like a few weeks ago you did, I, I, I'll give you, an example. So I was talking to someone and they said, I really have a hard time doing things for myself. That's why I'm not able to make these investments, you know, to grow because I, I, I don't do things for myself. I was like, okay, well, did you go get that pair of shoes from that other spot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like them. Okay. Was that for you or for somebody else? Oh yeah, that was for me. What about that watch that you bought? Was that for you or was that for somebody? Oh, no, that was for me. So the issue is not that you have a problem investing in yourself yeah. because you do. You're making these purchases, but let's start to break down. Why are you willing to spend it on things hmm. that you like, but unwilling to spend it on these things that are going to be beneficial to you, but may be uncomfortable for you right now? Right. Mm. Wow. So that's. Getting people to step out of their comfort zone and making the and prioritizing the same action differently. If yes. Right. right, yes. And, w- w- and Dr. Brian, would you say that's your number one characteristic that leads to success as a coach? Would you say that one aspect of getting these? People- I think my number one, my yeah, my number one characteristic to being a successful coach is being curious. Okay. And approaching situations from a position of curiosity okay. and not trying to put people in a predefined 
So one of my strengths is individualization. So even within the engineer's blueprint for success, my framework, there's going to be individualization within that framework to suit the needs of my client. So I don't believe in cookie cutter approaches where everybody's going to do these same 15 things. And when you get done with these same 15 things, you'll be complete or, you know, through the process. No, it's a customized process. They, those 15 things may be similar. They're not going to be exactly the same. Right. Because everybody's a little bit different and everybody approaches things a little bit differently. Okay. Now, I guess as you've gone into the coaching and you've designed, I would say at this point, you've designed the life that you want. Mm-hmm. Now that the transition is completely made, because I mean, at first we got this picture of you trying to, the challenges trying to figure it out. Yeah. How has that affected your family now and what's what is what's it like i mean basically we're peaking right now into like now in the future or or even the now because at first he was like okay we heard all the struggles and the challenges of that what is it like now that you've got this life by design and and now you live yeah yeah, great question i would say i've been living life by design probably for a good 10 12 years before I started even doing my entrepreneurial stuff. And that was really, and the key to that is placing boundaries around what really matters to you and being respectful when you defend those boundaries. So if they want you to do something different, that's outside of it. That is, that's totally their right to ask you to do things. It's not their boundary, it's yours. Uh And it is totally your right to defend that boundary in a respectful way and say, no, can we find a different solution to get you what you want? Because this is important to me and I want to continue to work here. I want to continue to do the things that need to be done, but can we find a way? And so even in my situation where I was offered the promotion and told that I needed to come up to DC every day and I declined three months later, they gave me the promotion and I still didn't have to come (laughs) to DC every day. But part of that was because of how I approached it, which is not, I'm not trying to be confrontational, just really standing up for what's really important to me. And they understood the value of having an employee that was happy and settled and continuing to produce. Got it. Got it. Nope, man. Well, I like that. I mean, yeah, I love it. Go ahead, Cecil. The reason I'm saying I like that is because I'm looking back into, I mean, Ralph knows this, my last job. And I'm saying to myself, like, maybe I should have approached it that way. And things would have been a lot more differently um, in terms of like boundaries, because I, I think in a negotiation, ask for things, but asking doesn't give anyone the right to give it to you or right. it's not your right. I mean, you work for an Correct. employer, they're not ask for something. So you kind of have to know like, okay, I'm going into this battle, this negotiation. What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to do to earn the right to get that? So as you were saying that I was thinking about that and I'm like, hmm, maybe was I too confrontational, but I mean, I might never get that opportunity, but at least I get to hear this and learn for the future. And I hope the audience gets to really take that deeply into thought moving into the negotiations they want to have for the things that they want to pursue in their lives. Yeah, I think the biggest mistake that we can make in those situations is getting upset and offended by what our employers may ask of us. 
right? It's okay for them to ask. Yeah. And it's okay for you to decline. Yeah. But you don't have to get mad about it. Correct. And part of it is really understanding that you want to respond and not react. When I react, it's a knee-jerk thing. It's the first thing that comes to, you know, my mind. Boom. When I respond, I'm thinking about the impact that I want to have or the response that I want, you know, as a result of what I'm about to say. And that's totally different. Now, I I could totally relate, man, because, you know, you know, Dr. Brian, I had to learn this on the go. I feel like, you know, I had my own school of hard knocks MBA, especially as became as I became a subway franchisee, because I had to learn that I had to retain employees. You know, I had to approach, you know, behavioral issues. I had to approach attendant issues. I had to approach all these things. Remember, as me being that executive, I had to approach this staff a certain way in order to get my result. Yes, I did keep their, you know, I did keep their situation in mind and as a factor. But Mm -hmm. overall, I had to make sure to get the desired results, you know, for the overall team. So I had to learn how to keep my emotions in check. I had to learn not to just, you know, just speak with my heart and not with my mind. I had to actually sit down with myself and give myself a couple of minutes, devise a game plan, knowing that if I said this, they're going to react this way. But then when I come back this way, we'll get the result and I will go in, execute and get that result. But, you know, Dr. Bryant, this, the audience listening to this, you know, we may be tackling two different perspectives. We may be tackling the ones that aim to create an executive coaching uh, program such as yours. And we're also tackling that executive that needs to get coached to become the CEO or to be to, to promote higher within this company. So I want to get into the foundation of what you've built. You know, what is your organizational structure for that one person that's coming and saying, yo, man, I've never heard of a executive coaching um, person. I want to, you know, kind of implement and execute on this. What is your organizational structure look like? At this point, it's really simple. Okay. I'm a solopreneur. Nice, and nice. I am I am the chief everything officer <laughs> other than the <laughs> folks that I, you know, may use to execute certain functions within okay. the business. But in terms of the client facing part of the business, what you see is what you get. Okay. And I take it you have a CRM that breaks down and can handle these things, or is it even necessary? Okay. It is necessary okay. because in addition to coaching individuals, you provide coaching services and leadership development services for companies and organizations. Okay. And so it's crucial to be able to keep track of whom you're talking to and kind of who to follow up with. And then thinking about the different packages that you would have to offer, you know, there's the consulting leadership development, kind of the platinum package that may be with some of my small business clients that are in the engineering area. And then there are packages that I have available for individual engineers. Because okay. those look totally yeah. different just because of the scope of services that I'm providing. Okay. And to add to that, and this is maybe something I know, or Ralph and I would know that maybe the audience doesn't know, but I mentioned it earlier that you do have a podcast. So and considering we are all podcasters and most recently <laughs> our last right. interview was a podcast coach. Now, mm-hmm. and this is maybe us putting it out there for the importance of it. What role does your podcast play in all this? I mean... I would like to hear because I don't know. I can make an assumption and say all, give all the answers, but I could be wrong. So what role does your podcast play in all this for you? 
for me, the podcast is a top of funnel activity. Okay. The okay. podcast is a place where I am able to show up as a subject matter expert and be presented as an authority in the field. So I've been podcasting for over two years. Okay. I think episode 108 will be coming out next week. So right. we've been Kudos. two years of weekly Kudos. episodes. And I do, uh, thank you. I do a mix of interview-based episodes and solo episodes. The majority of the episodes this year have been solo episodes. But the whole thing is about brand positioning. The podcast for me has been a way for me to position the brand of Dr. James Bryant. Okay. The brand of engineer your success. And from that flows a lot of the social media content that I put out is based on what we talk about in the podcast from that social media content. You get other leads and other people that are commenting on posts or that are reaching out when they're ready to, you know, take advantage of the service. And I think this is for the people that are out there that are thinking about building their brand, don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to niche down. Do not be afraid to niche down. There's some people who are like, oh, no, you know, if you niche down, you're going to miss this whole market of people over there. No, those people weren't for you, right? So they weren't going to come to you in the first place. Yeah, You need to niche down to the people that you're uniquely designed to speak to. Because when you are talking or somebody is talking about what you do or who you are, it's like being in a crowded room where you have cocktails and, you know, you have all of the glasses and stuff that are, you know, think about that noise and somebody's talking about it. And that person is going to turn and say, I think I need to hear more of that because you're speaking yep, directly you. to that person. So for me, initially, when I started, I was going to do life coaching. I was going to people would be like, who's your target market? Got it. I can help everybody. <laughs> well, in trying to help everyone, I, no one was able to hear me because my message wasn't refined enough. You know, I would talk generally work-life balance or this kinds of issues or these kinds of issues. It wasn't refined enough. And around the time that I started the podcast is when I made the decision to niche down to uh, engineer, engineers, okay. business owners with an engineering background, engineer, we're going to engineer your success. And yep. that has been Pretty just smart. a great experience for me niching down because I have clients that are not engineers. I have people that listen to the podcast that are on the email list that are not engineers. And they will say, I'm not an engineer, but I receive value from this. And so the people that are outside of your target that are designed to hear you will still hear you. Yep. When you have that message refined. Makes sense. So really quick, to piggyback off of that, does the podcast draw you in your corporate clients, the platinum level clients that yes. are okay. It wow. does. Wow. It does. The podcast draws those in. Yeah. The podcast helps to provide just a, a certain air about the brand. And then they're I, I'm able to say, hey, why don't you go listen to this episode where I talked yeah, okay. about the importance of delegation or where I talked about, you know, the seven tips that engineers can use to be better communicators. It's all about the topics, choosing the topics that are catered to the market that you're serving and are catered to the avatar that you're actually serving. Makes sense. And the reason I asked these, or just even wanted you to touch on that is because I think it's the importance of, it ties everything together now if you go through the journey of you saying it takes hard work, but it's not only hard work. And now you come and you 
it takes hard work, but from looking at everything, it takes hard work. It takes skills. I mean, you perfected a mm -hmm. skill of being a civil engineer or just understanding the skill of engineering. You, you got the experience, leadership experience, executive experience, and then it, get, it went into coaching. And for the last two years, you've been putting out all this information now, specifically talking to a specific person, if you will, mm -hmm. in that avatar and mm -hmm. saying, hey, this is who I'm talking to. And to have 108 episodes in, Man. now if somebody wants to know about you, it's very easy. Very to easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it, they're not, they don't even, I mean, because they don't even need to go to a website and say, like, because I could make a website tell you what I want, I wanted to tell you, but for you to have 108 episodes telling people what you want them to hear versus what they need to hear, like, that's a different story. You're telling them what they need to hear and the information you've had from experience so it, it ties everything in for the audience listing that the importance of building a brand i mean i think dr yeah. Bryant has built a brand but that brand has been built from experience from hard work and he's put everything together now and he's using his platform the platform obviously the podcast social media and all that stuff to to get the information out there and there is no shortcut to what he just explained i mean we just did it in an hour but there it is this is like taking 20 years plus and putting it in an hour and saying hey this is how you do it but i hope people get to understand that these things do take time and you're a testament to that because just being a phd i always to get there in itself is, it's not an easy feat for anyone at all, but you've made it sound so easy. So <laughs> kudos to you for that, man. And kudos yeah, to man. you. Yeah, d definitely, doctor. For me, you really broke down how this coaching can definitely help someone get out of that shell and achieve their level. Or I would say maybe even it has to be their level if they're coming to you for coaching, but achieve that higher level of operating mm -hmm. within private or public sector or, you know, whatever it is, man. So, yes. and the fact that the corporate clients come in based off the podcast as well, too, man, I can only imagine what this next year of episodes are going to draw in just because now that's a massive thing. So we can, we'll, we'll probably get into that on another episode, right? You know, teacher moment and things of that yeah, sort. Yeah, it, it opens up a lot of different opportunities for me. It's opening up tons of opportunities. Yes, so. and, and again, I've been podcasting for two years. So if you look, if you listen to episode one, it okay. sounds totally different than yeah. if you listen to episode it's, it's uh, 108, right? <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, I'm totally here, different, but that consistency, it was one yeah. of the other things we were mm -hmm. talking about before that I wanted to mention, consistency plays a role. Yeah, Showing up consistently Correct. plays a role in shaping your brand. It does. So you want people to know what to expect when they do work with you, when they do business with you, you have to be consistent. Yeah, I mean, because I think it's only through consistency because some people are going to, like you said something, people would look at you now or, or from one yeah. and they wouldn't buy until maybe episode yeah. five yeah. because yeah. they needed to know that when they go Correct. into a relationship with you, there's consistency in it versus if they'd probably gone in at episode 10 and then you disappear on them and they're like, okay, like I know he's good at doing what he does, but what about the person who was just waiting? So I think yeah. consistency plays... Uh, a huge oh, yeah, role in that. And I mean, to, to say all that, I, I guess the next thing would be, do you have any upcoming projects that you would like people to know about? Because I mean, we're talking about all this and someone's saying, how do I find out Brian? Like, I need <laughs> exactly. to know, like where? Like, oh. The, the easiest, so the, the 
easiest way to find my website okay. is winatworkandhome.com. Okay. Winatworkandhome.com because that's what I help people do. Okay. Help people win at work yeah. and at home. Okay. That's win the easiest way. Yep. Okay. That's the easiest way to find me. I'm on LinkedIn. If you okay. type engineer success on Google, I'll be either the first or the second thing that pops up. That's so, what's... CEO. So, <laughs> so, I know, but I was about to say, yeah. To the niche. So, uh, so for yeah. everybody out niche there, down. that speaks to him niching down. Because if yeah. he didn't, then, I mean, he, I don't know what he would have said to, to make it that. But then mm -hmm. you would have been typing executive coaching, find like a million people. So he had to niche yep. down. And now he's tricked the algorithm, the SEO to just be like, hey, I'm right there. I'm one of the few people, well, there could be other people doing it, but they haven't figured out yet how to talk to their audience. So they're not getting number one or two, and they're not paying to be number one or two, like some companies would have to pay. So these are all parts of branding that really help people with and that. And it goes back to being consistent. When you have yeah. two years worth yeah. of content exactly. it's out indexed. there on Apple Podcasts and yeah. other places. It shows up. It, it pays off. Definitely. It pays off. Definitely. Um, qu a question, Doc, before we, before I transition back to Cecil, again, for that audience member that's aiming to become that executive coach or, you know, we know we talked about niching down and things of that sort. What exactly would you say, what exactly would you say is, is something that they need to stomach from the very beginning wanting to enter this lane? I'm sure pitfalls, I'm sure there's, Example for what Cecil said, episode 10, if you didn't have the consistency, you would have gotten over on some people, things of that sort. What mindset do these people need to have to say, you know, what, I want to tackle executive coaching? What mindset do they need to have before they even take on that feat? Yeah, I think if you want to go into a field and you want to be an executive coach and you want to be a consultant, whatever, whatever, whatever one of those lanes you want to be, you have to know what problem you solve and who you solve it for, right? So you can have skills as a coach, you can have skills as a facilitator, but when you start marketing and messaging and really building your brand, it's important for you to know the problem that you solve and who you're solving it for. It took me a long time to narrow that down. Even after I niched down to engineering, you know, people will say, so you're a work-life balance engineer and are you going to yeah. do stuff with work-life balance? And I would talk about work-life balance and people will look at me like I'm talking, you know, with a whole out of a different part of my mm -hmm. head because they never, nobody ever thinks that they really need work-life balance. Like they recognize it as something there. They'll say, oh, it's elusive. It doesn't matter. It's a mirage because things are never balanced. That just means they don't want to do the hard work, right? Because even if you think about walking, would you say that you're a balanced walker? Yeah. When mm -hmm. you think about being off balance is when you're about to fall. Yeah. But the whole time you're walking, it's a, a thing of balance and rebalance, center and recenter yeah. as you are continuing to move forward, as you're continuing to move forward. So I, the way that I approached it is I started thinking through, okay, what were those three questions that I asked myself? Okay. Do I want to win at work? Yes. Do I want to win at home? Yes. Am I? That is how I approach work-life balance, is really trying to determine or identify the areas where you may not be winning. And now let's shore up that area. And one last question, my bad, Cecil. One last, because I want to make sure that, that people can get I mean, this. Right. This is interesting, Dr. Ian. You know, from the outside looking in, 
I would want to get as many gems as possible. Your John Maxwell leadership, you're actually certified, v- or you went through the John Maxwell yeah. leadership program. Would you suggest that anyone aiming to go into executive coaching goes through that? And what's the raw benefit of having that? Is it a accolade be- uh, behind you that, you know, obviously gives you notoriety to your clients? Or what exactly is the main benefit for someone aiming to go into it? Okay, I'll speak. I'll approach this from a couple of different angles. Okay. One is most times that kind of program, a certification program, is not for your clients, it's for you. Okay. And it's to provide you the confidence and the tools that you need to confidently show up in the marketplace. Okay. So a lot of people will say, oh, I need to get certified. Now, they do provide examples and example contracts and, hey, this is how you build your business. And to some degree, it's kind of drinking water out of a fire hose because it's a lot of information. Okay. But the reality is a lot of it is to help you build your confidence so that you can show up in the marketplace confident. The John Maxwell team is great. They have lots of resources. They have calls that are going on every night of the week to help you build your business. You know, I would say anybody looking into it, absolutely. It's something to consider. But any kind of coaching or certification program is really more for you and not your clients. Okay. You, you know, so you can think about having all of this stuff on your website. You okay. know, it looks great. Got it. But if you don't, if you can't identify the problem that you solve and for whom you solve it for, the certification doesn't matter. Got it. Okay. Got and it. what most of the certifications do is they train you on the process of coaching, not so much on the process of building your business. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. I mean, Perfect. but it, it, it's interesting. You, it's for you, but it is for you to help others yeah, <laughs> better. But, but what I'm saying is that the benefit is more so for your for confidence, you. Yeah. you to show up. Okay. okay. Because a lot of people may have some of the intuitive skills, mm-hmm. but they're not, they're not showing up confidently because they're like, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. And I'm not talking bad about the certifications. I think they're great. So, okay. you know, I've done. John Maxwell team certification. I've done the uh, business made simple business coach certification. Okay. You know, also I'm now in the John Maxwell mentorship program. Okay. So it's not, there's nothing bad about it. It's just more so that these things gotcha. are, are to help provide you confidence. Got okay. it. I mean, which Got is it. important because, um, so you can better serve. For instance, I went through coaching and like I said, with Jerome and what gave me the confidence to start the podcast. Because initially when he takes podcast, I'm like, you want me to actually take a mic and start talking to people? Like, what am I, what am I going to talk <laughs> about? And he's like, I mean, we talk. So he's like, well, we talk about it for an hour every week. Like, there's a lot for you to talk about. But I had to be coached, build the confidence to understand yep. and why it was important for me to show up and have the information. So I, I think I guess it makes sense in that way where you say it's for you and then obviously you're able to show up then for others. Makes yes. Makes sense. That's so, cool. So before we end all of this, I think you are the perfect person based on even your bio and what you are about and what you do to answer these questions for the audience to, to get a quick glimpse into the life of a, I would say, an entrepreneur, a an executive coach and a, a husband and a father. So quick. The first one goes is you made a new entrepreneur. What is the first piece of advice you give? 
Are they married or unmarried? I I'll get to that one, but <laughs> I'll get to that one, but <laughs> yeah, the, I'll get to that one. Yeah. But that, that's the intrigue about this one. You just meet a new entrepreneur without knowing anything. About, I mean, maybe you have a five minute conversation okay. with them. Yeah, so. But I don't know anything about it. It's really nailing down the problem that you're solving, who you're solving for. Okay. I that's like the that. Big okay. Thing because every, okay. everything is, everything else is going to build off of that. Yeah. Okay, okay. Okay. Now, second one is we talked about CRM and stuff. What is a digital resource that helps you greatly? Chat GPT. Ah, I like it. I mean, you think about like that. Love it. Now to your first, the question you asked me is what advice would you then give to a new father and a husband? Yeah, there you go. A, a new father and a husband communicate and communicate and understand that your spouse cannot read your mind. Okay. There are a lot of times where we think that we're communicating and we're not communicating clearly. And it's really incumbent on the person that's communicating to be able to package the information in a way that the person I'm giving communication to can receive it. Okay. And, you know, for me, I learned that like the first three years of marriage, even though I screwed up with taking the job in that first three years of marriage, <laughs> I learned how, you know, if you think through this whole process, I learned how to be a much better communicator. Okay, yeah, cool. Thank you very much. Perfect, I appreciate man. it. I mean, I think these answers... As much as I think they help the audience, they help me, especially that last one, because maybe communication, especially in, in a marriage, is still something I struggle with. And these people saying it over, and I think most, Ralph, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, most people have actually said communicate. So it's like yeah. this reminder you get all the time and you're like, okay, I got to figure this out, how to yeah. communicate with it. Because like, you're right. My wife does, cannot read my mind. Because sometimes I ask the question in my mind and I'm like, well, she didn't hear you, so... You actually have to verbalize it for her right. to know what you're thinking and what you're saying to make things happen. But so I, I really. And the, and the other piece to that is that we're going through all this rationale in our mind and our thinking. Right. So all of this stuff is happening in the background and we say one thing and we expect for our spouses to have all of that rationale that we have been yeah. thinking to understand why we said that one thing. Okay. And it doesn't happen that way. You have to be able to. Take that and communicate, you, you know, maybe you don't dump it all out. Yeah. But you have to figure out a way to frame it so that you're framing that issue so y'all can have a discussion and, and make a decision. So sense. when it yeah. came time for me to launch my company and really kind of say I'm going to go out on my own, those were the conversations that we were having. Okay, how are we going to structure this? Okay, this is what I want to do. All right, how much money do we need to have set aside before you're comfortable with us doing this? You know, here are the trigger points that we're going to have that if things get here, yeah. then maybe I'll, you know, I'll do this. If things go here, I'll do that. Thankfully, I haven't had to do any of that because things have been going very well for us okay. and well for my business. But we had but those you had discussions that contingency plan. up front. Mm -hmm. I, feel, I felt like this last section is like what, when someone says pro tip. Like, that's exactly what that is. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think this whole episode uh, really gave some real in-depth insight on the raw realities of a family man, in this case, chasing his dream, his profession, and then eventually building that brand, man. A lot of people get caught right at that pivot point of, man, wife drawing me back, baby on the way, all these things happen at home, but I want to chase this. And honestly, doctor, they give up on this and they settle on that, or they chase that so hard and they give up on the family aspect. So Thank you for giving that 
that balance. I know it's insight. never going to be you, fully in balance, but thanks for that insight because it is going to be a gem to a lot of the listeners. I mean, you let it. We, you let us know that it is possible, and yeah, you just have to figure out. And anybody who needs to figure that out, I, I suggest you talk to Doctor James Ryan because essentially he's figured it out. And I'm not saying to perfection because there's no perfection, but of to course. figure it out to make progress in your life because ultimately. You want to, if you, I mean, if you want to stay married, you want to still chase success, you have to figure out that balance or whatever it is add, that you're looking for. I would for. ask Cecil if you want to stay happily married. Yeah. Because there, there there's some That's people true. that are staying married that aren't happy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm right. happily married. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love being a dad. I love being a husband. I love being an entrepreneur. I love being an engineer. I love being a podcaster. I love all of these things. There you go. I want so, to say that's yeah, the pinnacle it, it, of it success for a family man building a brand. That's the pinnacle, man. And again, Dr. Brian, I get, you can probably attest to this that no amount of money can amount to peace you have on a daily basis. Happy wife, happy life. You know, your yep. children are thriving, career going well. Honestly, they can give you a billion dollars and tell you they take all of that away from you. You probably be like, I don't know, man. You only live once. I'm good where I'm at. For me, as a family man building a brand, that's the pinnacle. So I talk about this all the time, financial freedom. You know, that's all we're aiming to do. We're not aiming to become crazy billionaires. No, financial freedom is where it's at while maintaining the family structure and enjoying life that way. So I want to thank you for that, man. You gave us some key gems. This has been a great episode for all the listeners listening in. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to give us a rating. You know, if you felt like this episode really helped you out and all the other episodes prior to this, make sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. This has been a great episode of Family Man Building the Brand. Thanks again, Dr. James Bright. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. That's it for today's episode of Family Man Building the Brand. We hope we left you with a ton of value from this episode. If you like what you heard, feel free to leave us a rating and a review. This helps our show gain traction with other listeners just like you. You can join our community by subscribing and following Family Man Building the Brand on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, we're family and together we build.